Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy tonight. Lord, we thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for moving in our hearts, God. Father, we thank you right now, Lord, that our hearts are open and receptive and we're ready to receive from you right now in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. Well, good evening once again, Journey Church. I am so excited to be kicking off this message uh, with you today. Actually, we're in a series right now called After the Cross, but I'm very, very excited about sharing this message in particular because I believe that it's going to be a message that will help us see things differently. It'll help us change the way that we view God. It'll help us change maybe even the way we view ourselves. And I think it's incredibly important. And more uh, than that, it'll help us begin to make sense of reading the Bible. If you're like me, um, and, and many of you are, there are many of you who are not, which is a good thing, but if you're like me, you've gone in your Christian life at one time or another struggling to understand or try to make sense of the Bible, wondering what it says here and does it apply here and, and, and all this. So we're going to have a good time tonight digging into that. Before we do that, though, I do, I do want to do a quick recap over the last couple of weeks. So we've been in this series called After the Cross. And the very first week, we actually had to start with the cross, what took place with the cross. And this is huge because it begins to affect our lives as Christians. It affects our lives tremendously as Christians. We need to live our lives as though the cross of Jesus Christ changed everything because it did, right? So the week one, or week one, we talked about what took place at the cross of Jesus Christ. And what took place at the cross of Jesus Christ was this, that our sins have been forgiven. All of our sins, not some of our sins, not the odd sins, the even sins, every sin you have ever committed in your life, every sin you are committing right now, and every sin you will yet to you have yet to commit has been forgiven through Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. That is incredible news. Some would say, well, that, that's making light of what Jesus went through. That's not taking sin very seriously. I think it's the exact opposite. I think it has a high regard for what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, and it's not making light of sin. Sin destroys and kills life, and Jesus Christ came to destroy and take away our sins. It doesn't mean that we don't still do particular sins. It doesn't mean that we don't still get caught up sometimes and commit sins, but what it's saying to us is that the way that God relates to us is if we are blameless and faultless because we are. We are faultless, holy, pure, and blameless before God right now. Your sins, my sins, have been completely and utterly forgiven. Week two, my bride preached, Pastor Kim preached, and she preached a fantastic message. We're talking about the righteousness of God. And she hit on three things I think is so incredibly important. The first one is this, that, that you have been made righteous with God. That word righteousness simply says you've been made pure. You are pure with God. And because you have been made pure and righteous with God, you now have right standing with God. You and God can stand and occupy the same space and everything is okay. So because you've been made righteous and you now have right standing with God, uh, those two things combined then gives us the desire to live right for God. We desire to live right for God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So those are the first two weeks. And then last week, we talked about this, 
Um, who, who is with us? We talked about this important fact that the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has come and made His home within us. We are the eternal address for God. God in us, us in God. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He is closer than a brother. And so we have the Holy Spirit present with us at all times. We don't have to pray and beg the Spirit of God to invade a service. What we do is we tune in through worship. We tune in through uh, just meditating we tune in through just sitting and being being still with God. We tune into the presence of God that is already there. It's not about the Holy Spirit coming again and again and again. The Bible says in, in Joel, it says he poured out his spirit on all flesh. The Spirit of God is present with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. This is what it looks like to live after the cross. And this week, we're talking about something, again, I think is going to be so incredibly important. It's going to be talking about what, what applies to us after the cross. What applies to us after the cross? I'm going to make a statement here, and it's going to be controversial maybe to some of us, and for some others of us, it'll be a very welcome statement. And here's the statement I'm going to make to you right now. Here it is. Ready? Everything in this Bible was written for you. But not everything in this Bible was written to you. I'll say it again. Everything in this Bible was written for you, but not everything in this Bible was written to you. That is a huge, huge deal. That's massive. That is a massive deal. Um, I remember when I, when I first started following Jesus and, and, I, and someone gave me a Bible, uh, my very first Bible. And I remember going and, and bringing that Bible to school with me and I would sit in class and, and any downtime I had, I would begin to read my Bible. Well, I wanted to read the Bible like you do most books, right? Most of us, we, we get a book and we want to read it. We start from the beginning and we work our way to the end. But if no one's ever told you this, that, that's not exactly the way you want to start this out. Because without any understanding or any knowledge of what applies to you, you can start in the beginning. And by the time you get to the second and third book of the Bible, you start questioning whether or not the God that you fell in love with is still the same God who is in love with you. That's an important thing to understand. That everything is written for you, but not everything is written to you. If you go over to Amos chapter 3, uh, over in Amos chapter 3, where is Amos at, y'all? Amos chapter 3, here it is. And this is what it says. So Amos chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, I will gather the armies of the world uh, into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and there I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, scattering my people from among. That is not the scripture I wanted to read. I wrote the wrong scripture down, y'all, but that's all right. There's a scripture over Amos that says this, because, maybe it's 3-2. Is it 3-2? Is it 3-2-2-3? It's in there somewhere. But anyways, it says this. It says, it says that because you've done wrong, I must punish you for all your sins. Because of what you've done wrong, I must punish you for all your sins. That's, that's a scripture in the Old Testament. It's in the Bible, and it's in the Bible. Does that mean it applies to you? The answer to that question is, is no. It does not apply to you, because you can go right over to Hebrews chapter 10, and this is important. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 real quick, and this is what it says. Hebrews 10 verse 17, it says, and then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. 
You can read one scripture in the Old Testament that scares the bejesus out of you, right? And, and then you can go read a scripture in the New Testament that brings comfort, peace, and silence. But, but the problem is, is that for a lot of Christians, we don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. We don't know how to rightly divide this thing. And so we will take scriptures that are not uh, meant for us, scriptures that are not written to us, and we'll apply them to our New Testament, our New Covenant life. A new covenant life. The, the Bible was broken down. This is good stuff. I'm going to do a little teaching tonight for you. The Bible is broken down into two parts. And the beginning of it, you have what's called the Old Testament. And then, and then you get a little more than halfway through it, and you have what's called the New Testament. It's broken down into two parts. The, the New Testament, or the Old Testament and the New Testament. The will and testament of, of God. Now, when you write a will, some of us have done some estate planning in our lives. And we've formulated a will. We've written a, a will. If you've written a will, raise your hand, right? Go ahead and hit some like buttons. I got a will lined up. Well, when you write a will, what's the purpose of it? It is to determine who gets what when you die, right? Now, here's the thing. Does that will go into effect before you die? The answer to that question is no. So you can write in your will that my, my kids get all my money, all my houses and my animals and all that stuff. You can write in this will over here, uh, this family member gets this beach house over here if you, if you have those things. But regardless, you can write all that stuff down, but that will only goes into effect when you die, right? Now what happens, and this happens often, what happens when once you've written a will, later on you want to modify that will. And so then you go and you rewrite your will. Now, when you die, after you've rewritten your will and redistributed the stuff that you wanted to distribute, when you die, which will is, is held up as the, the valid will? Which one? It's the one that was written latter. It was the one that was written last. Now, you can have a, a copy of the first will and say, no, 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 but see, in this will, I was stated, or I stated that I get X, Y, and Z. And what the judge will do is say, well, what's the most recent copy of the will state? X, Y, and Z. Well, then that's what, that's what goes. And you see, you can kind of begin to look at the Bible in the same way. What, what uh, affects us now, what, what takes place now is the new covenant, the New Testament and will of God. And that's the one that we're under right now. That's the one that we're in right now. Now, the Old Testament contains an old covenant. This is important to understand. The Old Testament contained an old covenant. Now, a covenant is an agreement, right? It's an agreement that, that two people enter into for mutually beneficial things, right? So that's what a covenant does. Now, a lot of people don't understand that the first covenant, the old covenant that was written about in the Old Testament, was written to are written to Israel, or, or written for God and Israel. It was an agreement between God and Israel. I, I want to show you this. Go over to Leviticus real quick. Leviticus is close to the front of the Bible. Leviticus, this is the book that if you started reading right when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you started kind of questioning what did you just get yourself into. Hopefully I got the right scripture down on this one, right? So Leviticus 26, uh, verse 46, it says this. These are the decrees and regulations and instructions that the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai as evidence of the relationship between himself and the Israelites. These are the decrees. These are the laws that God gave to Moses between God himself and the Israelites. 
That's important to know. And it wasn't written to you. <clears throat> the Old Testament law does not, in other words, does, did not, does not apply to you. You are not required in any shape, form, or fashion to live your life by Old Covenant, Old Testament laws and regulations. Some denominations even today say, well, no, 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 we, we have to live by the dietary laws set forth in the Old Covenant, therefore we can't eat shrimp. Let me tell you something, y'all. I don't know. I think I'd struggle with a, with a religion where I can't eat shrimp and crab legs. Come on, somebody with some seafood, right? But but there's whole denominations that say, no, 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 we need to live by the Old Testament, Old Covenant, dietary laws. Well, those laws were not written for you. We just saw that these were laws that were written between God and Israel as evidence of the relationship that he had with Israel. If you go over to Psalms 147, go over to Psalms 147 real quick. Y'all working your paper Bible, Psalms 147 right quick. And uh, verse 19 and and 20, it says this. It says, he has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulations. His decrees and regulations are what church? They are the laws laid out for uh, Israel in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. It says he has revealed his words to Jacob, his decrees and regulation to Israel. He has not done this for any other nations. They do not know his regulations. Think about this. He has not done this for any other nation. They do not know his regulations. This is a covenant specifically between God and Israel. Not between God and Israel and you, but God and Israel. This is the covenant they have. And this covenant is, is what they call a if-and-then covenant. Okay, and this is important to remember because you'll notice this if you go into the Old Testament and you do a lot of reading, you'll notice there's a lot of ifs and thens. If you do this, God says, then I will do this. Both good and, and what we see sometimes as, as bad, right, as a, as a result of judgment. So if you do this, then I will do this. Now, this was a covenant, again, that God made between himself and Israel, but it was a covenant that Israel entered into wholeheartedly. When they came out of Egypt and, 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 and Moses goes to Mount Sinai, they tell Moses, you tell God, we'll do whatever he says. We can do it and we'll do everything he lays out. They had a lot of pride and, 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 and confidence in their own ability. And so they entered into this agreement with God with a if and then covenant. Oh Lord, we can do all that you ask us to do. They entered into that. The issue that we have today in the church today is that the church is obsessed with the if-and-then covenant. The church is obsessed with if-and-then covenants. And so we take what was not meant for us from the Old Testament and we bring that into the New Testament. If-and-then. We say, God loves you if you do X, Y, and Z, or God loves you when you do X, Y, and Z. But if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then God will X, Y, and Z. And we bring that into the new covenant, the, the church today. Now listen, at some level, at some level, the if and then stuff kind of helps out with, with modifying some behaviors in the moments. 
It can even change some behaviors in the moment, the if and then. I'll explain to you in just a second. But what, what if and then is powerless to do, it's powerless to bring about and actually change the person. So let me just say that again. If and then can modify behavior. If and then can actually be used and is used quite often as a manipulation tool, as a tool that, that, that people use to manipulate people to get them to do what they want them to do. But the if and then cannot change at the heart level any person. We use if and thens even now. My wife and I do. We use an if and then situation with our kids. We have a chore list that we implemented this week. We've been in quarantine for five or six weeks now. And let me just tell you, man, I got tired of cleaning up certain things. So we issued a chore list that all three of our kids have. On the side of our refrigerator, there's a list. And we make it very clear. Uh, if you do this, then this is what will happen. And this, and this is if you complain about having to do chores, then you, then you lose all your technology. And it's funny because that if and then... My, it modifies their behavior a little bit. It lets them know, man, I don't want to lose my technology, so I need to go ahead and do this. But listen to me, guys. My wife and I, Kim and I, we, we don't use if and then language to communicate our love and our acceptance of our kids. Never. There's never been a moment where we've looked at our kids and said, if you do this, then we will love you more. Or if you do this, then we will love you less. But that's what the church does today. Not all churches, but that's what we tend to do today when it comes to relating to God. We, we want to bring back this if and then language, and that's not at all God's desire. That's not God's plan. That's a very sad thing that we do. Um, and you hear this all the time. There's a verse that I just get so tired of hearing quoted from the church over and over and over again. Anytime there's a, a national issue that happens, uh, th this whole virus thing, man, I, I made a statement about this a couple weeks ago. Um, this whole virus thing that we're dealing with, whether it was man-made or it came from bats in China, whatever the case is, I, I start seeing these, these scriptures start popping up. And the scripture is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and it's a famous one that's quoted. It says, if my people who are called by name will, will repent, turn from their wicked ways and humble themselves, then I will heal their land. That scripture starts off by saying, if my people, and it ends with, then I will. So there's that if and then language. And we see that plastered all over memes and say, all right, church, we need to repent and turn from our wicked ways and then God will heal our land. No, that is, is an old covenant if and then agreement. That has nothing to do with you now. That has nothing. Am I saying that you shouldn't repent? If, if by definition of repentance you mean change your mind about particular things, I'm all for that. I advocate that. But if by repentance you mean beg God to do something he's already done, then no, I'm not for that at all. You think that God's going to heal the land? Um, our land, if enough people get together and, 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 and repent and turn from our wicked ways, how many people need to get together and repent and turn from their wicked ways for that, for that to happen? How, how many of us? And is it just the Christians in America that need to repent and turn from their wicked ways? Or is it also the Christians in, in Germany and the UK and China and Japan and all these other countries that are dealing with this virus as well? How many? And when is it enough? It's not for us today. It's not written to us today. 
Our relation and our our relationship with God and our acceptance with God is not based on our ability. It's based on Christ. It is based on Christ. The law that God gave Israel was a measuring stick. It served a purpose, right? And it, it did. It served a great purpose. And the purpose that it served was to show Israel that no matter what you do, you cannot and will not measure up. You know, it, you, you can't. In your own ability, you can't. And the weakness of the law is not found in the law. The weakness of the law was found in our ability to keep the law, or Israel's ability to keep the law, right? So uh, my son, I used to be, I used to be a roller coaster, roller coaster fanatic. And Caden has become a roller coaster fanatic. He loves roller coasters. He loves going to any music park and riding any roller coaster. And I remember when, when he was younger, man, he was always, now Micah's not the same way. Micah and Joe do not like riding roller coasters, but Caden loves it. And I remember when he was younger and he got the taste of riding roller coasters, he wanted to ride everything. And so we would have to go. We were in San Antonio at uh, SeaWorld and we would have to go and they had these measuring sticks that say you must be this tall to ride the ride. And Caden would go up, man, and every, he knew he wasn't tall enough, but he would go up and he would stand with his back straight as he could and his head up and we would measure him and say, sorry, buddy, man, you're still a couple inches too short. And then he would kind of slip up and stand up on his tiptoes a little bit and he would kind of raise his neck up like a giraffe a little bit. He was trying his best, but no matter how much he tried, he was never tall enough to ride their ride. Over time, he was, but he was never tall enough in that moment. It didn't matter what he did. He wasn't going to be tall enough to ride the ride. And the law of God is that measuring stick that says, listen, no matter what you do in and of your ability, if you're trying to do it by yourself, you will never be tall enough to ride this ride. And so what happened is Jesus came and he stood in our place. Jesus came as the vicarious man. Jesus came as humanity, stood in humanity's place and stood up against the measuring stick and said, I measure, I have it figured out. I, I, I have done it. It is finished. So if you go over to Galatians chapter 3 real quick, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. I know I'm doing a lot of teaching tonight, more teaching than preaching, y'all, but it's so good, man. This is going to help us so much. Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, and this is what it says. It says this. Actually, let me go back to verse 23. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Before the way of faith in Christ, or the faith of Christ, was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith is revealed. Verse 24, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could, make, until we could be made right with God through faith. In verse 25, it says, And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as a guardian. In verse 26, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, or through, through the faith of Christ Jesus, right? We are children of God. We, because of Jesus, now stand at the measuring stick, Perfectly tall enough to ride this ride of righteousness, what Pastor Kim talked about in week two. We stand tall enough to ride this ride because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done. It's, it's our faith in his faith, right? It's, it's our faith in his faithfulness. It's his faith that's made this possible, and we get to trust him in this. We get to trust him in this, in this whole thing. 
to jump back into the Old Testament and pull the Old Covenant into the New Covenant um, is actually a, a good way to cut yourself off from Jesus. To jump back into performance-based relationship or religion is a good way to cut us off from Jesus. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Cutting you off from Jesus. Or, you know, when I was younger and I was uh, starting to follow Jesus, the church that I went to, they, they used this term. I heard this term a lot. They say, so-and-so has fallen from grace. If you've been in church any long, any period of time, you've probably heard that too. So-and-so has fallen from grace. And, and that terminology, that language was used for someone who decided to go back and, and, and live in a particular lifestyle that they had come out of, right? And, and uh, we used to joke about that in youth group. We used to say, man, so-and-so is building the testimony, right? <laughs> but, but we would hear that, hear that terminology, so-and-so has fallen from grace. And it was often associated with a sinful lifestyle. Can I just tell you that? Fallen from grace has nothing to do with a sinful lifestyle. There's only one way that you can fall from grace. One way that you can fall from grace. If you go uh, back over to Galatians, right? Back in Galatians chapter 5, it tells us this right here. Galatians chapter 5, verse uh, 4. It says, For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God, by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. I want you to hear that again as I read this. Listen, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, listen to me. It doesn't even have to be uh, the laws laid out in the Old Testament. It could be any law that you've established yourself. If you're trying to uh, make yourself right with God by reading your Bible enough. If you're trying to make yourself right with God by praying enough. If you're trying to make yourself right with God by, by making sure you give enough. If you're trying to make yourself right with God to make sure you don't miss any church services. That you tuned in every Saturday night at 6.30 or Sunday when we do the watch parties. If you're trying to make yourself right with God by anything you are doing. He says you've run the risk of cutting yourself off from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Let me explain. Let me explain what I mean by cutting yourself off from Christ because we know and say, well, Pastor, you've talked about it before. You know, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. How can we be cut off from the one who never leaves us nor forsakes us? You cut yourself off. God is ever present. God is not going to leave you nor forsake you. But when we begin to grab a hold of the laws, any law, and try to use that as a means to make ourselves right with God, in order to do that, you have to grab a hold of the law. And if you're grabbing hold of the law and you're holding the law, you're letting go of God. That's what it means to cut yourself off. So it's important to understand when you're reading as a, as a, a, a believer, as a reading as a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're picking this Bible up and you're going through and you're reading it where you need to really, really focus at, especially at the beginning of your walk, or maybe even now, even if you've been in this 20 years, and, and you find yourself like, man, I feel like I'm the guy that's struggling right now, and I feel like I'm cut off from God, and I feel like I'm, I'm falling from grace, then you need to focus your attention to the New Testament. You need to focus your attention to the grace of God. You see, the New Covenant is found in the New Testament, and the New Testament reveals the grace of God that Old Testament heroes longed for. 
We look at people like King David and we say, man, he was a mighty man of God. And the Bible says of David that he was a man after God's own heart. But you understand that King David lived under the old covenant. And he longed for the day that you and I live in right now. If you go over to Romans, go over to Romans real quick. I'm telling you, man, this is, this is so good, man. I, no doubt this is shocking some of us. No doubt it's stretching some of us. And, and maybe even some of us are getting super excited right now going, thank God. I, I, I thank God I knew it. I knew it was this, right? So Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, Paul writes this. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Paul wrote that, right? Wrong. Paul wrote that in Romans, but he was quoting King David. Did you know that? He writes this incredible truth and says, this truth right here, it applies to us right now. That the Lord's not counting your sins against you, that the Lord has, has, has cleared your record of sin. And he was quoting David. If you go over to David, I mean Psalms, sorry. Go over to Psalms. Let's go back to Psalms. And it's Psalms 32. Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven and whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Watch this. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now, isn't it interesting that David associated the forgiveness of sins with living a life of complete honesty? And then Paul quotes David, but he leaves off that last part for those who live their lives in complete honesty. Why? Because he knew none of us could do that. None of us can live our lives in complete honesty. There was one who lived his life in complete honesty. And because that one lived his life in complete honesty, the, the benefits of the forgiveness of sins is applied to all of us. It's applied to all of us. Again, a covenant, a covenant that we are under, we're in a new covenant. And a covenant, it lays out what is agreed upon by two different parties. The actions carried out are based on the agreements. Old Covenant, Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was between God and who? It was between God and Israel. Watch this. The New Covenant is between God and who? If you said us, that's wrong. The New Covenant is between God and God. It's between God in Jesus, but we are the beneficiaries of that. Now, how is that possible? The incarnation of Jesus Christ. God became flesh, became man, and because divinity put on humanity, humanity now has the ability to take part in divinity, and so Jesus Christ represented humanity. So the covenant that God entered into, he entered into it with Jesus, and Jesus stood on behalf of humanity. So we get the benefits of a covenant that is never broken, because God will never and can never break a covenant with himself, and yet we get the benefits because Christ came on behalf as humanity and entered into that agreement, that covenant with God. That covenant is between God and humanity, and humanity, humanity bears the benefit of Jesus' perfection. 
2 Corinthians 5, so we went for God made him who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Doesn't it make sense now? That makes sense, right? So does so does First Timothy or Second Timothy. If we go over there to Second Timothy real quick. Second Timothy. It helps know where it's at. It's in here somewhere. Second Timothy. Right over here. Second uh, Timothy chapter two, verse. 13, and now this really begins to make sense, man. It makes so much sense. It's so good. Uh, let's go back to 11. This is good. Let's go back. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, we'll go through 13. It says, and this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure hardship, we'll reign with him. And if we deny him, he'll deny us. And it says in verse 13, it says, and if we are unfaithful, look what it says, church. Look, look, look. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. If we are, faith, are unfaithful, he remains faithful, because, for he cannot deny who he is. That covenant was cut between God and Jesus Christ, and we enter in and receive the benefits of it. So the Old Testament contains the Old Covenant. The New Testament contains the New Covenant. Now, let me just help you again make sense of this real quick. Not only does the New Testament contain the New Covenant, but the New Testament actually contains some of the Old Covenant as well. Did you know that? It's true. So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels are the place where the Old Covenant and the New Covenant emerges. The Old Covenant comes to an end and the New Covenant emerges. Jesus was a, a prophet, a priest, a, a teacher, a rabbi under the Old Covenant, and the audience that he spoke to and that he was preaching to were Old Covenant Jews who lived under the law. And so it makes sense why some of the things that Jesus said sounded really harsh, but who was he speaking to? He was speaking to those who were living under the Old Covenant, those Old Covenant Jews. And so with, this kind of helps us, right? The New Covenant begins after there's a death, right? And the death of Jesus Christ ended the Old Covenant, began the New Covenant. And it makes sense. It helps us understand maybe even some of the hard things that Jesus said in the New Testament. Some of the hard things that Jesus said doesn't apply to you and I. It applied to, to those he was speaking to, but not necessarily to us. Now, I'm not saying that we can't apply the things that Jesus said. I'm saying some of the things that Jesus said does not apply to us but we can absolutely apply what Jesus said. When we talk about loving, he said, the world will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. We can apply that for sure, right? That's a huge deal. That's a big deal. But things that there are certain things that don't necessarily apply. Like when he says over in Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, and I might put it below the screen or on the bottom of the screen right here, but for time's sake, I'll just kind of paraphrase it. And Mark 11, 25 to 26, he's talking to the, the Jews and he tells them very, very clearly. He says, listen, listen to me. If you don't forgive others, your father who is in heaven will not forgive you. If you've ever read that as a believer, you might begin to think to yourself, well, man, there are all sorts of people I haven't forgiven. And if I haven't forgiven them, then that means God has not forgiven me or that God won't forgive me. So now I got to go around and try to for, try to forgive as many people as I possibly can in order for God to forgive me. But, but listen to me, your forgiveness 
was not bought with the currency of your repentance and your forgiveness was not bought with your the currency of your ability to forgive. Your forgiveness was bought with the currency of God's love. You were forgiven by God through Christ. So this does not apply to you. Can you apply it? Absolutely. Let me show you what I mean by that. So when I look at somebody and I say, I refuse to forgive them, do you know what happens to me? When I refuse to forgive somebody, I will stop the flow of God's forgiveness to me by default. I'll stop the flow of forgiveness to me and therefore hinder the flow of forgiveness out of me. And so, yeah, there's truth that if I don't forgive, I won't receive forgiveness. But there's not when it comes to say, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you because you've already been forgiven. Again, Hebrews 10, 17 through 18. We read this in the beginning and talked about it in week one. It says, it says this, it says, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. We just read Paul's response, quoting David, blessed is the day that the Lord, the day of blessed are those who, who the Lord does not keep track or account their sins. You have been forgiven. So there are things that you see in Jesus that he spoke to that don't necessarily apply to you. That's going to help you. That's going to help you as you continue to read this. Because if not, you'll find yourself back under this works-based religion. If and then. If you don't forgive them, then your Father won't forgive you. You're not under a if and then covenant. You're under the new covenant. And the new covenant says, you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. And the Old Testament... And the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament foretells of Christ's reveal. Christ is concealed in the Old Testament. It's a good way of putting it. So the Old Testament foretells of Christ's reveal. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels reveal Christ. The Epistles, those are the books that come after the Gospels. The Epistles reveal Christ. Christ in you. If you want to understand the covenant that you and I are currently living in right now and how God relates to you right now, spend some time in the epistles. Spend time reading what the epistles are saying about you, who you are in Christ, who you are uh, through Christ, what you have because of Christ. Go and spend time there. Spend time reading that before you decide to tackle on the Old, the old Testament. And listen to me when I say this, listen, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying there's no value in the Old Testament. There's tremendous value. Actually, in Timothy, it says that. It says all scripture is, is inspired by God. It's God breathing. It's good for correct and reproof, right? So those are, you can learn things by going through. You can see correction. You can have the spirit of God using the Old Testament passage, man, to bring about some correction, to cause you to repent, to change your mind about a particular thing. But understand that when you're going through and you're reading about these judgments and these things that are taking place in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, it does not apply to you, church. The epistles do. And that's where we need to begin to build our identity on. Begin to build our identity on that, let me ask you a question. What covenant have you been living in? What covenant have you been living under? For a lot of us, man, we've spent a lot of time living under a if and then covenant. 
and it's been unfulfilling. It's been hard. It can be painful. Let me just challenge you to repent. Can I say that? Let me just challenge you to repent, to begin to change your minds. Have a metanoia moment as you begin to dig in to the epistles. And I got a book for you to start at. Okay? I want you to start. I'm going to challenge you, church, to start with the book of Galatians. And as a matter of fact, you know, uh, Pastor Kim and I, we, we do these morning devotions Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. We're going to take uh, our devotions this week, and we're going to take the devotions, and we're going to spend time talking through the book of Galatians. So my challenge to you is to study the book of Galatians, get into it, read the book of Galatians, see how you've been set free um, to, to embrace Christ as your Savior, and, and you're free from any kind of laws that, that might be in the past and embrace who you are. And we're going to spend time unpacking that each day during the devotions this week. Let me pray for you real quick, and then we'll wrap up. Father, I just thank you for everybody who had a chance to tune in tonight, Lord. Everybody who will listen to, the, to this on the podcast or watch it later on. Father, I just thank you that you are turning on light bulbs in our heads, God. You are causing us to see things differently, man. That even just some metanoia moments, Lord, that we have to repent of, Father. Father, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness, and we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody, sit. Amen, amen. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week.